Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our fifth and final episode of Mind the Teacher, a podcast that investigates the factors that influence teachers' mental health and the, the consequences of teachers' mental health problems. And today we're going to wrap everything up and talk about some policy implications and some things that schools and districts and policymakers can do to help teachers and help teachers' mental health and ultimately help students. So we've covered a lot of ground in our mini-series. In episode one, we heard from professors Eisenberg and Biasi. They helped us understand how researchers think about mental health and how costly poor mental health can be broadly. Right, right. As Barbara Biasi's work has shown, untreated mental health issues can really undermine productivity in general. And while her work was looking at workers overall, we might imagine that poor mental health among teachers can be particularly costly because it, it can affect students as well, which is something that teacher Stephen Guerrero pointed out in episode mm -hmm. two. And while in episode three, we talked with professors John Jerem and Sam Sims and discussed our own work about how both in the U.S. and abroad, teachers have mental health outcomes similar to other occupations, our conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Steiner and at RAND flagged that the pandemic might have been particularly hard on teachers' stress and anxiety levels. Yeah. And like many things in education, race plays an important role as well, combined with general concerns about teachers' mental health. And in our conversation with Professor Travis Bristol at UC Berkeley, he talked about the dual toll that black teachers face in grappling with inequality and racism alongside the stressors of their jobs that all teachers face. And as he put it in episode four, black teachers have really been dealing with a, a dual pandemic or a duality of stressors, both in terms of the disruptions caused by COVID-19, as well as the, the longstanding implications of racism in this country and in many of our schools. For this episode, we wanted to both revisit some of the topics from previous episodes to pull out some key points and takeaways regarding both teachers' mental health generally and a more forward-looking focus on what can be done to support teachers coming out of the pandemic. To kick this off, I had a conversation with Matt Barnum as the national reporter for Chalkbeat, a leading news organization focused on issues in education. Matt was the perfect person to speak with for a broad 30,000-foot view of what's going on in school districts during the pandemic and what school leaders should pay attention to as we move forward. After this conversation with Matt, Seth and I will return for an overview of the kinds of mental health supporting interventions that have been shown to be effective in both school and non-school settings. Today we have Matt Barnum on the show. Matt is the national reporter for Chalkbeat, a news organization that is focused on covering education-related stories. Prior to joining Chalkbeat, Matt was a writer at The 74, the policy director of Educators for Excellence New York, and a middle school language arts teacher in Colorado. If you pay any attention to policy issues in education, you've almost certainly encountered Matt's work. He covers everything from summarizing and assessing policy proposals coming out of Washington to highlighting the latest research in education. We invited him onto the podcast because Matt has done a lot of reporting on the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on teachers' well-being and parental well-being and mental health in schools. Matt, we're very grateful to have you on the pod and really look forward to the discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. It seems like prior to the pandemic, it maybe occasionally come up, but it just wasn't a huge focus in a lot of education circles. But obviously, the pandemic has highlighted a lot of things. So give me an overview of like how the pandemic has shaped how we think about mental health in schools. How's it impacted teachers? Sure. First sure. and foremost. Yeah, I mean, the, the teacher stuff is what I know the best because there have been some very good research done on it. And, you know, we have evidence that teachers are experienced, have experienced more stress than other workers, than other workers during the pandemic. And they also self-report more signs of depression. And I mean, that's important because, you know, teachers in many professions, people are feeling stressed out right now and may have felt stressed out before the pandemic. It's always important to say compared to what. And I think I, I might have been a little skeptical that teachers had disproportionately 
negative feelings of stress or mental health issues because of the pandemic. But we do actually now have good survey evidence that at least teachers report higher levels of stress than some other workers during the pandemic. And, And, you know, I think that's concerning. I think it's concerning both in terms of how that's going to show up and affect teachers' effectiveness as instructors and how it has affected their effectiveness and how that could show up in terms of burnout or teacher attrition, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. And then, of course, I think it just matters in and of itself because school officials should care about how their staff, teachers, are feeling. Yeah, yeah. When you're thinking about teachers, like in your reporting, did you talk to any teachers and get a sense for maybe some of the things that they might have brought up that have really affected their mental health regarding changes from the pandemic? Well, I I think, you know, the thing that has jumped out to me, both from talking to teachers and looking at the empirical survey data, is like the different modes of teaching and the different modes of schooling have really affected teachers because teachers, just like anyone, want to be effective at their job. And when you're feeling like you're not effective, you don't feel good about yourself. You feel stressed out. You know, that may have a direct effect on on your mental health. And I think a a mantra from teachers has been, it's like, I've been a first year teacher. It's like, I'm a first year teacher again. And that's really hard as anyone who has been a first year teacher knows. And like that, I think really manifested itself in a number of different ways and or like was caused by a number of different aspects of this pandemic not just you know the health issues but the pedagogical issues of teaching remotely of teaching remotely and in person at the same time teaching remote students as you're teaching in-person students toggling back and forth between different instructional modes and not feeling you know like you're getting in a groove and I think that has that's really shown up in both in my conversations with teachers and in the data as a key source of stress this year. And I think the other aspect of it is like whether teachers should go into work has been, I think it's probably fair to say, uniquely a political and public policy issue. I don't know that this has right. shown up in the polls or has even been asked about in the polls. But I think teachers have been very cognizant about this very fierce, like, debate about whether schools should be reopened and to what extent they should be have their buildings opened. And I mean, I think it's a totally legitimate debate. Of course, that was a question for policy and politics. But what I've wondered about is how teachers have experienced seeing that debate play out in the headlines and whether that has also been an additional source of stress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an excellent point. Very few occupations had their kind of job protocols and occupational protocols part of a large, very public, very kind of intense debate. When talking to teachers, you know, there's, there's, it's often treated as kind of a caring profession and people think of it as a, as a caring profession. And I think that's, that's mostly right. Like teachers often do care a lot about their students. And so when you were talking about the kind of personal well-being and thinking about family members and the added stress that that is that that brings you know during the pandemic i wonder how much teachers have experienced kind of an exponential mm-hmm. version of that in that you know they they're not worrying just about themselves and their family but also you know their students that they have relationships with yeah. and have you gotten that sense at all from any of the coverage or from from teachers that's a, or that's a good question i mean obviously <laughs> If you talk to a teacher, they they really care about their students. And I think that's one of the reasons the like pedagogical stressors have been so severe is that many teachers have felt that they just haven't been effective or as effective as educators this year. And they're concerned about how that's going to affect their students. And then that's translating into stress and them working hard. I mean, there's other data indicating, and I believe this is self-report data. And I think we know that self-reported data on working hours is not perfect. So let's take this with a grain of salt. But I think there's other data showing that teachers have worked longer hours during the school year. And that's also a manifestation of them caring and then being concerned about their students' education and, and their effectiveness in the classroom or yeah. in the Zoom Zoom classroom. But then working longer hours is could also be contribute to stress and mental health issues or relationship challenges with, with family members. And so yeah, I, I think that the caring aspect of it, you know, is certainly can be a contributor. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Have you talked to any principals or, or school districts or gotten a sense from them how they are responding to this kind of strain that, that teachers are reporting? Has there been any talk of that? You or? know, I don't know that I have seen much about that. I have to think about that. I guess actually the, the clearest and most tangible way that I've seen schools respond, and this has been a pretty common response, so we don't know exactly how prevalent it is, had been with monetary bonuses for teachers and what some are calling thank you bonuses. Uh, yeah. Certainly, I have to imagine there have been other responses at at a school or district level and m- maybe providing extra extra support in terms of mental health supports or in terms of sharing your appreciation for teachers who have gone above and beyond. But the one thing I've seen at the policy level have been that these sort of thank you bonuses, those have involved, you know, sending a, a check or, or a direct deposit of 500 to $2,000 to teachers to say, thank you for your hard work this year. We know this year has been really hard. Teachers I've talked to have been really appreciative of that. And they said, you know, we finally feel seen. We finally feel appreciated for the work we've done. I will say the, these bonuses are a little, little controversial though, because sometimes they're coming from the stimulus money that got sent through to schools. And there Uh, are some folks who say, well, we should be using that money directly on needs that schools and students and teachers are experiencing going forward, not as a backwards looking right. bonus for work already done. Right, right. More, It's more, I think, conceptualized as kind of a, a capacity building thing rather than a, a thank you backwards, you know, bonus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So to get your, you know, the kind of closing section of our conversation, I think I would really just like maybe your thoughts, given that you have kind of a broad view of a lot of the research that's come out and that you talk to a lot of school leaders regularly in in the course of your job. So in thinking about kind of in-person, you know, the likely return to in-person instruction in the fall, I mean, although with the Delta variant, this seems the likelihood has changed Mm -hmm. a little bit. What should districts be thinking about to support their teaching workforce, particularly in light of what we know about the difficulty of the previous year. You know, teachers have reported, you know, look, I'm I'm stressed and depressed yeah. and I imagine this summer wasn't necessarily a, a big yeah. reprieve. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a million dollar question because it's like, well, at the heart of getting schools to operate effectively and now and in general is like, well, how can we support teachers so that they're at their best and at their their best for students. And that's always been true. And and it's especially true right now. You know, I don't know that I have (laughs) clear answers and I don't know that there is a clear quote unquote research based answer. I have a couple thoughts though. You know, I think one thing, very high level thing is like set up supports for students so that they're ready to learn when they enter the classroom and so that teachers can focus on teaching. And, you know, we know students are going to enter schools with a lot of challenges, you know, both academic, socially, emotionally. Some students have not been in a school building in a year and a half. Some students, there was a recent estimate that 120,000 students have lost a caregiver or parent because of COVID. Some students have, many many children have been socially isolated and are going to struggle to reacclimate to being around peers for six to seven hours a day. I mean, these are really, really steep challenges that I know our educators are cognizant of, and I know that they're worried is going to make it hard to dive back into instruction to make up for, you know, the learning gaps that, that have emerged. You know, I don't know that the right answer is to just dive right back into instruction, but make sure schools have supports in place for those students whether that's, you know, I think a lot of that is not going to be through teachers. I think that's going to be through counselors and social workers, but it could also be through for teachers and giving teachers trainings to provide extra supports for students when they come in that aren't just instructional or making sure the classroom is conducive to 
students forming meaningful relationships with, with their teachers and with their peers. And so some have talked about reducing class size a, as a way to do that. And so, you know, that sort of thinking about the structures that allow for instruction to be effective is the, the sort of broad answer. How you put that in place in practice, I yeah. think, is, uh, is real, really where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point in, in that districts need to start thinking now about how they're going to deal with such a broad set of community traumas that I, I think a lot of students are going to be entering the classroom with and, and preparing both teachers, but also the school support staff for how exactly they're going to handle those traumas, I think is a, is a good thing to flag that I, I don't think it's gotten a lot of attention. So kind of closing thoughts, um, if you were th- thinking about maybe kinds of the, the top three things that administrators should be doing to try and avoid teacher burnout, is there anything beyond that list, like smaller classrooms and, and support staff, or did we just kind of basically cover it? No, we, we probably didn't cover it. I think, <laughs> you know, this isn't a burnout per se issue, but this is a teacher retention issue, which is pay. You know, I think if, if you're going to talk about teacher retention in if you're going to talk about retention in right. any profession, you have to, to think about pay is going to be be where, where right. you start. So I would consider if, if you're a school district that has a lot of teacher retention, I'd ask, are we paying teachers a, a competitive wage? And I would also ask differentially, you know, are we seeing higher turnover? in high poverty schools or in certain grades and subjects, like we often see shortages in math and science in, in particular. And then should we have targeted pay right. increases in the areas where, where we're really seeing increased turnover? Now, I think pay is not the only thing. You know, you can be burnt out e- even if, if you're well paid. And you might even, right. you know, stay in the classroom if you're burnt out and well paid or, you know, waiting on, on your pension to vest or, or what have you. But it's still an issue both, you know, <laughs> yeah. for the running of a school and for just caring about human being teachers as, as human beings. And I think, right. you know, being cognizant of workload and working conditions are, are really important. And the working conditions can be what type of building teachers go into every day. Is it, is it a safe, healthy, functioning building? It can be class sizes and it can be feeling like you're effective in your job and whether you have the resources and support to do your job. You know, it can be really small things like, gosh, is a printer in our in our school working? And is it a pain in the butt for, for teachers to print the materials they need? Just like the, the small workings of a school, I think, should be helpful to teachers rather than hindering teachers. You know, I think in in education, perhaps more so than many other professions, we have very high supervisor to staff ratios, whereas like teachers may be quote unquote supervised, one principal may quote unquote supervise 30, 40 teachers. And so they're not able to to give them support and feedback in thinking about improving like supervising and support for teachers. And also sometimes that feedback is like, teachers don't get a like, oh, wow, you're, you're doing a great job. And like people and all yeah, workers right. need and, and benefit from that. And, and if you're not hearing that, you know, that can be really draining and, and stressful. That's an excellent point. I think about this quite a bit because a lot of the narrative that you hear in public education generally is that it's highly bureaucratic and administration heavy. But when you actually look at schools, many of the challenges that they have in managing teachers even in normal times is that there's a principal right. and maybe a vice right. principal right. dealing with the whole right. school. Right. I do think, you know, it's hard to make a sort of clean comparison or, or figure out the, the best way to assess this. But there, I agree with you, there is a, a narrative about quote, administrative bloat or the blob, as it's sometimes called. But right. I mean, the spending in education on central administration, I don't want to say a number because I don't have it at my fingertips, but it's a small fraction of the education budget, which, you know, I don't know, maybe it should be smaller, but maybe it should be bigger. (laughs) Maybe and maybe school administration should be a higher fraction. It's hard to say, but like at least at the sort of supervisor to staff ratio, I mean, there isn't these very tiny ratios of all these supervisors supervising teachers. So it's interesting how that idea has developed and, and solidified in, in the minds of many people. Right, right. 
And the pandemic is, a, is to your point, a, a great example of this in that a lot of these shifts online and shifts to different modalities, teachers were in, in many ways kind of on their own in, in doing this. There was very little capacity to try and coordinate it. Uh, and what capacity there was, you know, it was one or two administrators at a school trying to make sure people had internet, make sure their students had laptops and right. et cetera, et cetera. Which is, you know, that's a lot to organize without even thinking about training their teachers and, and giving feedback. and Right. So I, I mean, you know, I, I think there have been some survey questions about what share of teachers have received any sort of professional development on teaching online, for instance. And, and I know that certainly some and, and maybe, uh, maybe a majority have. I'm sure that the vast majority, even those who have received some training, would probably say it was not enough and it wasn't good enough, which is understandable in one sense in terms of like right. this happened overnight and you know districts and right. schools you know probably didn't have the capacity like they were like well who do we call to do this training <laughs> we don't have anyone to do yeah. the, this sort of training right now <laughs> right. but that's just another you know i'm sure was another source of stress for for teachers yeah exactly yeah well do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share? Things that you've been thinking about regarding teachers' mental health coming out of this? Or have I, we kind of saturated? I think saturated? we've covered most of it. I think, to me, the things that I'll be really curious about will be that teacher turnover attrition numbers coming out of this summer and into next school year as, I think, one proxy yeah, and indicator likewise. of you know mental health and, and burnout, not the only one. I think we'll, I'll also be really curious to follow whether hopefully we'll have surveys this coming school year and whether we see teacher stress go down this coming school year or stay right. at an elevated level. I think that will be yeah. a really important question. And I think it'll be really concerning if we see it staying at that same level. And I think that would be, you know, if I were a school district official, I would be really I would want to have that data for my district, you know, at the start of the school year and be monitoring that yeah. in real time and then asking teachers, well, what can I do to address that? And relatedly, yeah. you know, usually in education, there's at least a feeling of a great deal of, of, of scarcity and not having free budget money to buy things that, that teachers might want. I don't want to overstate Absolutely. things, but it is definitely true that many school districts find themselves with money to spend and so yeah. if you're a school district official and you're worried about teacher stress you should ask teachers well how can i spend some money to help alleviate your, your concerns that would be a really good yeah. question that that school district leaders should be asking that's a great point like planting the seeds early and starting to have the conversations early among districts is this is the time to do it because you know we're flush right. with cash as you pointed out, and which is rare. And the way we spend that cash, we want to make sure that we're getting the best return for, per dollar. And, and I think there's a tendency sometimes to do very short term mm -hmm. thinking in how we spend random cash. Yeah. Like, you know, to your point earlier about thank you bonuses, I mean, I think that's nice, but it's also a one time deal that will fade. So I think having conversations about how to have some ongoing supports is right. crucial. Right, and like now. thinking about what are one-time things that we can buy with this money that might have long-term payoffs. You know, I think like, right, right. you know, I would ask teachers, do you need a new curriculum? Like what's your curriculum like right now? And could we get a curriculum for you that makes sure that helps reduce the time that you're spending lesson planning every, every evening or, or designing a right. curriculum from, from scratch? Or like, what is wrong with your school building? What are the things in your school building that are not working or that make your life worse or make it harder for your students to pay attention? I mean, we have all a bunch of evidence, right. for instance, that air conditioning in schools has a tangible effect on student learning. Huge, right. And, and even, if, it, even yeah. if we didn't see that show up in test scores, I, I would still say like that's something that like affects teachers and students like feeling of comfort and like stress in, in schools mm -hmm. if you're learning and when it's 80 90 Absolutely. degrees out and you don't have air conditioning that's that's just really unpleasant and so that could also be another like short-term investment has a long-term payoff all right excellent matt thank you so much for joining us it was an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you yeah likewise thanks so much for having me enjoyed it
So in today's episode, we want to start a conversation around what school districts, principals, and policymakers can do to help support good mental health among teachers, both generally and coming out of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. One main policy response is going to be utilizing what's known in psychology as burnout prevention interventions. Yeah, right. Like the name suggests, the idea here is to try and reduce employee burnout. Right. And there's two classes of interventions here. Those that are directed at individuals, individual facing interventions, as well as those directed at organizations. Of course, in our case, those organizations would be schools or maybe districts. And a large body of evidence in psychology finds that person-directed interventions of this type are really effective at improving mental health and reducing burnout, at least in the short term. But to get a longer lasting impact, what you really need to do is to couple those person-facing interventions with organization-directed interventions as well. And when those two things are combined, then they can really yield the long-term benefits and improvements that we're after. Interesting. And what would an organization-facing intervention look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So at the organizational level, what we mean is interventions or policy changes or initiatives that basically change workplace policies and procedures. So sort of changing the context that individuals are working in. Specifically, the most common of these would aim to either reduce the job demands that individuals face on a daily basis. So, you know, lighten their workload, say, or improve general working conditions. Or the other common type of change in this sense would be to increase workers' autonomy and or Mm -hmm. to give them more input into workplace policies and decisions in the first place. And so both of these ideas are probably quite familiar to any of the teachers in our audience, uh, as well as to education researchers, as these are both general things that we talk a lot about in education research when we're talking about improving teacher retention. To summarize real simply, increase teachers' autonomy, increase working conditions, and those are two things that are well known to increase teacher retention in general. So, right, yeah, right. and then in the case of teachers, we could implement the first type of organizational intervention by providing, say, increased administrative or grading or paraprofessional support to teachers, right? That would lessen their workload, provide them a little bit more support. Similarly, we could increase their planning and prep time, give them a little bit more time off during the day to rest, relax, recharge, and sort of organize themselves for the remainder of the day. And that's something that is fairly easy to implement and something that that schools should seriously consider. The other thing is to think about ways to provide additional paid personal days or or paid time off or or mental health days, whatever you want to call them. Now, that's a little bit harder to implement, a little bit more costly. You know, it, it requires finding substitute teachers and so on. So that can be a little bit more difficult to implement. But again, it's something well worth thinking about. So a lot of this sounds a lot like some of the suggestions that uh, John Jerem and Sam Sims made in our, in our conversation with them. They had done a, a, a lot of work on kind of the factors that shape working conditions and, and teachers' job stress as a result from those working conditions. And two of the things that they talked a lot about are workload and, and principal leadership. And so they gave examples of, for instance, providing assistance for grading, for teachers to manage grading so it doesn't spill into other things, or adopting even just a policy where instead of grading individual assignments, teachers provide feedback to the whole class, Mm -hmm. you know, and give examples of what a good assignment looked like and how to improve assignments, because then it just reduces the time that teachers are spending on grading. Absolutely. Uh, And then the other example that they talked about was discipline. They said there's a lot of job stress comes from disciplinary issues in a school. And oftentimes teachers have to both, you know, assign detentions, for instance, for a disciplinary infraction from a student. But then 
in assigning that detention, they have to then manage the detention period sometimes. So one way principals can ease the workload is creating kind of clear disciplinary expectations, making sure that everybody's on the same page for for when to discipline students, Mm -hmm. and then providing administrative support to run the detention session for teachers so that they don't have to take that on as well as, as managing their classrooms. Right. And the common theme there is that you're taking minor tasks off teachers' plate that, you know, allow right. them to focus their, their full energy on their primary job of educating students. The other common theme of, of some of that is that principals are involved in making some of those changes. Right. And, you know, we talked before in a few episodes about how important principals are. We said teachers are the most important part of a good schools, and, and good principals are a close second there in terms of what yeah, makes a school exactly. effective and functional. Principles absolutely matter. Good leadership is absolutely important. And, you know, that's another thing that Stephen Guerrero talked a lot about in episode two, just having administrators that are trustworthy, that teachers can trust, right. that make teachers at ease. You know, that makes teachers more invested in their job. It makes them feel valued and respected. And that lets them do right. their best in the classroom. Right, right. And, you know, John Jerome and Sam Sims echoed that talking a lot about the importance of having a supportive leader at a school and having empathetic principals that really kind of understand what teachers are going through mm-hmm. and, and try and, and support them accordingly. And, you know, Stephen Guerrero, when we were talking to him, he really had a common theme in a lot of his suggestions and in how we can best support teachers. And the common theme in helping teachers maintain good mental health was really just investing in our teachers and our teaching workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And and one straightforward way of investing is by providing resources, specifically resources to help ensure teachers' physical and mental health and, and to support their health. That comes down to good health insurance that includes not only access to physical health, the way we often think about, you know, doctors and health insurance, but also behavioral and mental health services as part of that health plan. And so, you know, I I already mentioned maybe including mental health and recovery days as a category of teacher absences or, or paid time off. But the other thing is that, you know, it's just so important to, to seriously think about mental health in the same way and just as important as we treat physical health. Right, right. Now, speaking of physical health, another resource that is is sort of becoming more and more important in this COVID pandemic era is uh, good HVAC and ventilation and sanitation systems mm-hmm. in schools. Right. This would reduce teachers' fear and also quite literally improve air quality and, and physical health in the school. You know, and then this is related to other policies that, that schools and districts might enact, whether it's masking mandates right. or vaccine mandates. All of those are, you know, school level investments or school level policy changes that can increase the work environment, increase the working conditions, improve the working conditions for teachers to, again, let them be their most effective selves. Right. To that point, there's actually some pretty uh, interesting recent research that we could probably post uh, to the website Mm -hmm. that looks at things like air quality in schools and emissions near schools and the effect that it has on students and student performance. Yep, absolutely. And one obvious kind of inference that you could make is if this is affecting students, it's almost certainly affecting the teachers in those schools as well. Right. right. And so improving the air quality in schools and just the, and just the physical space of schools to help ease the physical burden of being in a, in a school can go a long way at helping improve teachers' mental health as well. Yep. For sure. And, and, you know, some other things that Stephen Guerrero mentioned that I think would be helpful for district leaders to, to think about adopting is providing teachers with access to things like an employee assistance program, which, you know, he talked about his experience going to a licensed counselor mm-hmm. who was not affiliated with the school, which for him is important for was important for developing kind of a, a trusting relationship with the counselor and feeling like he could get the services in a way that wouldn't spill over into his professional relationship with right. the school. And 
He was able to do that for free under an employee assistance program. The district covered mm-hmm. for it, covered the costs of, of seeing the counselor. And this is the kind of cost that sometimes districts can be a little pressed for, but it might, you know, in the long run, save schools and school districts money because it can help retain teachers by helping maintain their, you know, good mental health and helping intervene in particularly acute moments of stress and anxiety. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Might actually lead to burnout. Yeah. And just to be clear, I should say a little bit more about like what an, an EAP is, an employee assistance program is. It's basically a workplace service that helps employees and even their families cope with a crisis or other stressful situation. And if an employer, you know, in this case, a school or district has a licensed counselor on staff, they could administer those services, uh, that counseling on their own. But by and large, most companies that, that have this sort of program, including schools, outsource it to a third-party professional, again, a licensed mm. counselor. So mm. my understanding is that an EAP is, is pretty similar to insurance programs with counseling coverage that are distinct from medical benefits. They're a separate right, right. provision of the insurance program. And then, again, even an employee who opts out of health coverage can still use the EAP benefits right, right. at no charge. So. It's a, right. you know, yes, there's a there, there's a bit of an upfront cost, but there's also a huge benefit that, you know, would likely increase teacher retention, increase teacher effectiveness, and just make the, right. the school and classroom environment a more welcoming and safe place for teachers and students. Right, right. And, you know, actually meeting with a counselor is kind of a, a personal thing. So would that be an example of what you were talking about before as as kind of a, a person-facing intervention? Yeah, uh, I think so, for sure. And that's the whole other set of policies that we think are, are worth thinking about. So individual one-on-one counseling is, is I guess, obviously, in some sense, a, a personal-facing intervention. But there's a lot of variation right, here right. in terms of there's a whole array of person-facing interventions we can think about. And, you know, to be sure, there's some some blurry lines here about what's organizational, what's personal, especially right. in the sense that at the end of the day, the firm or the company or the school, you know, the organization is the one providing the access to the person-facing intervention. So there's, there's a blurry line right. sometimes. But right. one popular intervention on the individual side or individual facing side is to provide social supports. And, you know, again, access to counseling could be part of that. But another important part of this that is probably especially relevant for teachers is some form of peer mentoring or peer support groups. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole other class of interventions here where the goal is really to improve job skills, right? Improve effectiveness in the workplace. And that alone will reduce stress as well as benefit students. So I remember when we were talking with Elizabeth Steiner from RAND, she mentioned the importance of providing tech support and tech help and tech training to teachers that were sort of thrown into virtual or hybrid teaching back in in spring of 2020 with very little notice, many of whom who had very little prior experience with with teaching online. You know, that was a stressful Mm -hmm. experience and providing some individual tech support or tech training would fit in this category of individual facing interventions that boost individuals job skills in a way that that makes the job less stressful. Now that's unique to COVID a little bit, I think, but more generally in the teaching context that we're focused on here in, in this podcast, teacher coaching, I think, is one of the best, most evidence based sort of highest leverage opportunities in this space. And Matthew Kraft at Brown University uh, and some of his co-authors have done a lot of really important work here showing how teacher coaching programs can be really effective and really the most effective form of professional development. And really, if we're talking about improving teachers' job skills, we're talking about professional development. And so at its core... These coaching programs are all about an observation and feedback cycle 
where the coaches provide individualized feedback to teachers that helps them improve their craft, improve their classroom management, improve their pedagogy, whatever. So these coaches are are experts in the field. They might be master teachers, and they're going to model those practices and work with teachers to really help them perfect their craft. And right. you know, reduce burnout is likely a mechanism through which these programs are, are so effective because they're helping yeah. teachers, you know, do better in the classroom. They see that, they see their students do better, they manage a classroom better, and it and it makes the job a little bit easier. Right, right. It, you know, it's a lot easier to be sustainable in being effective in your job when you don't feel the the anxiety or stress of recognizing poor performance or just uncertainty of, of how you're doing. Absolutely. Right? Uh, that can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. And, th- you know, this is all closely related to some of the uh, things that, that Stephen Guerrero, the teacher we talked to, offered in episode two. He talked about how valuable mentorship and having trusted colleagues and a support system within the profession has been for right. him in both improving his craft, but also just having kind of a sounding board for ideas, someone to touch base with when you're feeling burnt out. These are all all things that can not only help you improve your craft, but through improving your craft mm-hmm. as a teacher, improve your, your mental health as a result. And coaches or master teachers provides a an opportunity for schools and, and districts that adopt them to really systematize this, the creation of a mentor system for the, for their teachers, right? And it really allows them to have a, a built-in mechanism for uh, teachers to have someone to go to when they need professional advice, but also potential obvious starting point for check-ins about mental health or, or potential stress and burnout. Another thing that's somewhat related to this is Stephen Guerrero had talked about how teachers are often exposed to the trauma of their students. Mm-hmm. And one skill that's that's really helpful that districts could help teachers build is thinking through how to cope with and manage this secondary trauma, this trauma that they've experienced through their, their students' trauma. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things can be really taxing on a, on a teacher and on a teacher's mental health, if they're not properly addressed or if, if teachers don't have a good set of skills for coping with this, which I think is something that districts could provide both through mentoring, but also through professional development, as you said, additional professional development. Yeah, I think that's right. And it all comes back to having support systems that are sort of built in to the workplace, built into the structure of the school. So the other class of person-based intervention then, getting a little bit away from the from the mentor and, and skill development side of things, is more in line with these coping skills. Some of this is defined by social psychologists, where the goal is to help individuals process and, and move on from a challenging day or a challenging encounter, as well as relaxation techniques that, as the name suggests, aim to provide individuals with opportunities and and techniques to unwind and decompress and stay relaxed, stay comfortable. Now, importantly, these can be both reactive and proactive, meaning that some of these interventions we're talking about would be reactive to a triggering event or to a traumatic event. Others would be proactive in the sense that, you know, they're being offered all the time or at the beginning of the school year to try to lay a solid foundation from which to go about their day in the school. So, right, right. Those relaxation techniques sound pretty familiar to me, like kind of like mindfulness training exercises and interventions. Yeah, I think that's right. What do you know about the mindfulness training type of of interventions? Well, so for instance, just to provide a a single example, one team of researchers randomly assigned teachers to a mindfulness curriculum before the start of the the school year. And they found that teachers who participated in this curriculum reported lower stress and improved self-efficacy beliefs and reported healthier responses to conflict and and managing challenging students throughout the Mm -hmm. semester. 
So this this kind of curriculum involved 11 sessions over the course of nine weeks. So just about three to six hours per week in, in training. And it provided instruction on mindfulness practices like how to be aware of points of tension mm-hmm. and finding ways to focus on your current emotional and physical state while you're walking or standing. Okay. And it complemented this with role play exercises for teachers to practice recognizing and maintaining mindfulness in stressful interactions, like say, you know, conflict with a challenging student, as an mm-hmm. example. And finally, the curriculum created space for teachers to trigger particular emotional responses in themselves and learn coping strategies to avoid negative externalized responses to those uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. From what I understand, the basic idea of programs like this is analogous to taking classes with a trainer at a gym. You know, if you want to stay in good physical shape, you need to learn some exercises you can do on your own. And it helps to have a a professional guide you in doing these exercises correctly. And so I think the idea of these mindfulness-based curriculums is that it provides teachers going into the semester some exercises for identifying their own mental state Mm -hmm. And, and finding ways to alleviate these stressors, recenter their minds, and, and have practiced responses to challenging interactions with, with students. Well, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, we do our best work. I know I do my best work when other non-work aspects of our lives are going well, whether that's socially, right. whether it's with your family, w- mentally, emotionally, your, you know, your physical health. When all those other dimensions of your life are going well, it's the easiest to do well at work. And it seems like these mindfulness exercises really can help improve some of those other dimensions that we don't always think of as being this explicitly job related. Right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So we've just hit our listeners with a lot. Let's recap a little bit. And again, even though we talked about a lot of different things, I feel like there's a ton of agreement from all these different guests that we've had on the podcast, all these different research literatures from education scholars, economists, social psychologists. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of overlap here, as well as from different stakeholder mm-hmm. groups, you know, things that teachers mentioned and parents mentioned and so on. And that's real reassuring because uh, I think there's some real common ground to move forward on. And so right, the first right. big point is just we really do need to think carefully and be committed to offering both reactive and proactive supports for teachers and for teachers' mental health. Yeah, right, right. And so, you know, some simple things that schools and districts can do on the on the proactive side of things is to open the school year with some person-facing mindfulness classes for teachers. Just a basic curriculum going into the semester that'll give teachers the tools that they need to manage their stress throughout the year. Mm -hmm. The other thing is to make sure that teachers have mentors or coaches to help offer feedback, give them skill development, and help provide the tools that they need to be confident and effective in the classroom. Also offers kind of a formal formal mechanism for uh, checking in on teachers' mental health throughout the year. And then, you know, at the organizational level, Schools can be proactive by helping teachers manage their workloads through taking kind of extraneous activities off their plate and giving them more autonomy in the classroom and input in school policy and school decision making. Yeah, for sure. And then on the reactive side, districts and, you know, this similar to kind of personal facing and organization facing, there's some blurry lines here because many of the reactive things are reactive to a particularly intense Mm -hmm. moment, but they're also things that would help on the proactive end too. So things like providing an employer assistance program to make sure that teachers have access throughout the school year to qualified professional counselors. Teachers shouldn't just use these counselors and and go to counseling sessions when there's a problem, But it's particularly important that they have access in case there actually is an acute or traumatic event where teachers need immediate professional help. Right. And then on the reactive side, providing mental health days when they're necessary. And again, this could be a proactive thing when, you know, before you reach the level of needing a day off, having a, a day off that you can take that's just a, a, a personal day to help you rebalance. 
uh, would be a huge help for teachers, but I think it's particularly important when they've reached kind of an acute moment of burnout and poor mental health that they have paid mental health days available when they need them. Mm -hmm. You know, what you said about utilizing the counseling throughout reminds me of, of a lesson I learned when I was training to run a marathon and, and running a marathon. They always said, drink water throughout the race as you go every chance you have, because if you wait to drink till you're thirsty, it's too late. And right, I think that's, that right. that's true in running and exercising. And it's also very true here. If you wait to see a counselor until you're you know, thinking about leaving the profession and, and have experienced something traumatic in the classroom, it very well might be too late. It's certainly right, better than not right. going, but sort of dealing with small problems early on and even just working on yourself and your mindfulness early on can really prevent those potential problems from boiling over, you know, and, and there will be stressful right. situations in the, in the course of a school year. That's the nature of the job. What we're advocating for here is to support teachers in a way that, that they're ready to easily deal with those challenges that, that come up. Right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And then I think it also bears mentioning and very much related to our discussion with, with Dr. Travis Bristol about racial inequalities before and during the pandemic experience is that, you know, we've talked a lot about providing resources and investing in teachers. But of course, the truth is that schools and districts and communities vary wildly in their access mm -hmm. to those resources and in their ability to mm -hmm. implement many of the suggestions that we've made here. And so in that sense, I think it's critically important that state and federal policymakers in the education space recognize this. They really have an obligation, I think, to help and, and level the playing field and provide supports to the teachers in the schools and districts that might not be able to provide them on their own. Right. Otherwise, right. the existing socioeconomic and racial disparities that already exist in educational access and educational outcomes will worsen over time. Right. I think that's a fundamentally important point for us to keep in mind. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's probably a, a good point to end on Thanks, everybody, so much for following us along in this adventure. We've learned a lot. We hope you've learned a lot. We've really enjoyed, you know, interacting with you all and, and talking to our guests and, and learning some of this scientific literature and different policies and different things that schools are doing. As a reminder, the podcast website is live. It has transcripts to, for all the episodes. It has bios for all the guests. It has links to all of the resources and the research studies we've mentioned. Again, the website is www.american.edu slash SPA slash DPAP slash Mind the Teacher, where Mind the Teacher is hyphenated. Mind hyphen the hyphen teacher. Check out those resources on the website contact us if, if you want to you know further the conversation offline we really do hope this was informative and helpful and a conversation starter on what we think and what many think is a very very important issue and that is teachers mental health and mental health in schools generally so once again I, i'm one of your hosts seth gershenson from american university and thanks everybody i'm stephen holt and i'm at university at albany in suny yep well, thanks, Steve. This was fun. And, and again, I hope it was helpful. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Bye, everyone. See ya.